within the heart of each of us is the desire to explore, to venture out, to leave behind the ordinary and find something new. New places, new paths, new challenges. We look for adventure and for a tomorrow that asks more of us than today did. We want to hear the wind in the trees. We want to look out across the expanses. We want to take in the beauty around us and find the thrill the average person never does. So we set out to find a better way in our relationships, in our pursuits, and in our faith. Life Trails, take the next step. Some of you may be familiar with something that they call dog shaming, and this is where they take a picture of a dog after he has committed some grievous act, and they hang a, a poster or a little placard or a shame card, I would call it, around his neck, and uh, these come from dogshaming.com, so there's a whole website delivered to, uh, uh, dedicated to this, turn this on, and this gives you an idea, so my human calls me Hugo, it says on one side, my human calls me, Huxley, get down, Huxley, drop it, Huxley, I'm serious, stop it, Huxley, be gentle, Huxley, you get the idea. How about this one? Hi, I'm Bad Olive. I jumped into Bill's truck, ate up the whole week's worth of doggy treats, my treats, taco treats, all the treats. How about this? I ate a six-foot leash and had to have it removed by the vet. Three weeks later, I ate a shower curtain. I like the taste of Samsung remote controls. The second one tasted better than the first one. I have now been officially kicked out of doggy daycare twice. Some of us can relate to that because of our pets. Okay, I ate the toilet paper during the pandemic. That's definitely a reason for shame. I am a bad dog. I ate the car title two hours before it sold. While my family was at the grocery store, I stole a half dozen of the chicken eggs, ate four of them, and hid two more in the couch for later. Probably should have eaten them all. I steal cookies from little kids in strollers and run away. <laughs> I woke my owner up at 4.30 a.m. by punching him in the eye. And if that dog looks familiar, that's my dog. And that's how we started last Wednesday. Give you a little idea of that. Unfortunately, the color's not very good, but... Uh, that's what Rosie did for me. So I love her dearly, some days. She's actually one of those dogs that you call a naughty dog. And in fact, we have an ornament on our Christmas tree that says Felice, naughty dog. Uh, at Thanksgiving, she um, ate the apple pie. So Kelly had to make a second one. She likes apple pie, evidently. And uh, just like one portion. Uh, just this past week, she evidently didn't like how we had the Christmas tree decorated. So she undecorated it for us. And uh, so we had to redecorate this. But I have experienced, or I have uh, found this with Rosie. Shaming her doesn't really do that much good. You can say, bad Rosie, and she kind of slinks down and goes off to her crate. And you can put her in there, and like 15 seconds later, she's like, okay, are we good now? And she's ready to get out, and she has no idea what she was in there for, and she's off, ready to go. I've also discovered this, that shaming people is about as effective. Now, it sometimes can control people's behavior a little bit more, 
except it really doesn't have a positive effect. So we've been talking about this idea of shame. No shame November has become no shame at December here. But a lot of times we resort to shame because it, we think it's going to do something for us. It's going to get us what we want. It's going to have a desired effect. And we really understand at the end of the day that shame is not something that works well for us. And if we're the ones who are shamed, we are especially unhappy and unpleased with the results. But shame has been a part of society for a long, long time. You can actually go back in history. I'm going to move on from that picture. We're just going to go to the first thing. We can get to that. But that picture was kind of bugging me because I'm looking at myself in the back screen there too. But if you go back through history, you could think of some of the different ways that we have tried to shame people. Remember back in the colonial times, the, uh, the stocks and the pillories where people would put their heads in their, in their hands there and they'd be out there on the public square and everybody would walk by and they would be shamed for that. Uh, maybe you can go back into your own childhood. Now, if you went to school, you'd have to go all the way back into the 40s and 50s for this. But where you would put, they put dunce caps on kids and put them into the, the, the corner as a way to shame them. You back up a little bit more in history. Do you remember the scarlet letter? where women would have to, you know, they were adulterous, they would have to wear the scarlet A. I'm not sure why men never had to wear something because they were involved in that too. But shaming has been something throughout history. In fact, we can take it all the way back to the beginning of man's story in Adam and Eve. And shame was part of that story there. And shaming was actually part of that story there as Adam and Eve somewhat tried to do that even with each other. But if you fast forward a little bit, you get to the time of Christ, and we see that shame is a big deal in the time of Christ. And shame is thrown around there just like it is way back when Adam and Eve were in the garden. So we want to look at this, uh, look at a story in Matthew chapter 15 this morning. I encourage you to turn there, Matthew chapter 15. And this is a story uh, of shame. And it's interesting to see how this story plays out. Because some, some people who love to play the shame card show up in the story. And, and Jesus is off somewhere, probably in Galilee, and he's teaching. And these people who are really into shame arrive on the scene. And here's what happens. Verse number 1 of chapter 15, Matthew. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, they've made a trip to get there, wherever Jesus happens to be teaching, and it makes a point that they're coming from Jerusalem, and they get there, and what are they there to do? They're there to throw some shame. Now, I, if I, sometimes I read scripture, and I, and I get amused thinking of what's actually going on when, when this really happened. Like all the Pharisees are gathered in, in Jerusalem and they're like, okay, we got to do something about this Jesus guy. He's stealing our followers and, and people are going after him and we don't think he's teaching the truth and we got to come up with something to stop him. And Does anybody have an idea? And some guy in the, in the back says, well, I noticed that his disciples don't wash their hands. And I just kind of find that a little bit amusing, but that's what they grab and that's what they go. And so they arrive to talk to Jesus and they put this shame card and it's really not hung around the disciples as much as it's hung around Jesus' neck to say, hey, your disciples don't wash their hands. Now, why was that a big deal? Well, it was because the traditions of the elders, as it says in this verse, 
said that you needed to be clean before you ate. And so part of that ceremonial cleansing would be to wash your hands. So they really weren't that concerned about whether or not they were washing their hands. What they were there to say is, hey, you know what? You're just not very spiritual. That's a shame statement. And they were there to shame the disciples for their lack of spirituality. But they were actually there to shame Jesus and to say, you know what? You're just not a very good teacher. Because if you were a good teacher, and if you were really religious, and if you were really, really spiritual, you would have informed your disciples that hand washing is important. After all, it is a tradition of the elders. And so you're just not very spiritual yourself, Jesus, which is a little ironic, isn't it? But they hang the shame card on the disciples a little bit, but they try to hang this shame card on Jesus as well. And here's the first point. You've been looking at it here now for five minutes. But people will play the shame card. That's unfortunately part of the reality of life. And all of us have had the shame card played on us, haven't we? I can think back in my childhood. I grew up as a pastor's kid. This was a shame card that we liked to play at church. Well, aren't you the pastor's kid? I'm so sorry. You know, whatever it was, I was running in the auditorium, whatever it happened to be, but that was the thing. You're the pastor's kid, and so the shame card gets played. Maybe you've had this shame card played on you where somebody says to you, well, you're not much of a friend, are you? Ever heard that one? The point of that is to shame you. Or maybe you've had somebody like this say something like this, well, you say you're a Christian. I've seen how you acted. And the shame card gets played. And the shame card often gets played on us. And the shame card is played by these Pharisees. But for what reason? What were they after? What were they trying to accomplish with that? Well, in the big picture, they were trying to take Jesus down. But if you really step back from that, what were some of their motives? And we can't really know for sure, but we can speculate on a few things here. And I think that these things actually transfer into our lives too, where people may play the shame card on us, or when we may happen to play the shame card. This is really what we're trying to do. Sometimes we are trying, or people are trying to validate themselves. They're trying to establish themselves. They're establishing their position. They're establishing their superiority. They might be establishing their their power and this is the case of the pharisees so we've got to come here jesus but here's the deal you're attracting more people than than we are and everybody's talking about you and they're not really talking about us and so you're up here and we're down here now we've got to do something to reset that to rebalance in fact let's just go ahead and flip this so we're going to come and we're going to shame you and there's a lot of people in our lives in our stories who try to validate themselves or they feel insecure or they feel threatened we're going to go ahead and we're going to shame somebody else because that gives us an opportunity to reset things a second reason why people use shame is to manipulate we use shame to manipulate it to get you to behave and to do what we want you to do and so we, you know, we've seen this and we talked about this, some of the things even in society that is used. Why do we put a dunce cap on a kid? Because we want him to act a certain way. Or why do we throw shame at a child sometimes? 
Because we want him to behave in a certain way. And why do we, why do we throw shame at an employee sometimes? It's because we are trying to get him to behave or, 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 or to, to produce in a certain way. And why do we throw shame at an adult child? It's because we want that child to do something and we no longer have that power that we had when they lived in our house. And shame gets thrown a lot of times in our world to manipulate. And maybe you've been on the, on the receiving end of that and if you sit there and say, I felt really manipulated and you go back and it was shame that was used to accomplish that. Sometimes people use shame to obfuscate. And I just use that word because it kind of matched. But it just means to, to cloud things up, to make it a little more confusing or to distract or to divert. And a lot of times, if I can shame you, then maybe you won't notice the shame that I'm dealing with in my own story. In fact, I think a lot of times this is the motivation for, for shame. And, and a lot of times people aren't even aware that this is going on. But the people who have experienced a lot of shame in their lives, they try to distract or, or send your attention in a different direction and, and to displace that shame and move it over here. But sometimes that's why people shame. Another reason why people shame is to retaliate. And I don't know that that was the case here, but you see this in your life where somebody feels like they have been done wrong or you have wronged them. What do they come back with? You know, they're not going to get even, but they're just going to shame you for what you have done to them. But we need to realize this about shame. Shame is a weapon and not a tool. Shame is a weapon and not a tool. And it's usually wielded by the weak. It's usually wielded by the threatened. It's usually wielded by those who are fighting for power or position or for dominance or, or superiority. But shame is used, when I call it a weapon, it does damage. It's not a tool to make things better. It's a damage that, that does destruction. And so we need to be aware of that when shame is wielded against us, that, that that's a weapon. And we, we need to be aware of that, but we need to be aware of that ourselves too. That can be a weapon in our hands. And so the Pharisees weren't just upset that the disciples were washing their hands. They were upset because they were breaking the tradition of the elders. And let me just talk about that for a minute. The tradition of the elders meant something here, and Jesus is going to hit it in the next verse. But the tradition of the elders were the rules that the religious leaders at that time made to help people be spiritual. Now, I went to a church that was like this, that there were a lot of rules that helped us be spiritual that really had no basis in scripture. And it wasn't until I was an adult that I was like looking at that going, wait a minute. Uh, this is something we were doing over here, but I can't find this anywhere in the Bible. But all the way growing up, it was like, you do this, and it was a tradition. And that was what was going on in this time. The disciples were doing nothing morally wrong. There is no command in the Bible anywhere that says you need to wash your hands before you eat. And I'm sorry to tell you that, parents, you can't pull that one out of the toolbox, okay? It's just not there. But they were using that because they were trying to manipulate, and they were trying to control but the problem was that the disciples and Jesus were not respecting the elders' tradition. But the elders' tradition was represented by this. See, realize that shame is usually based on violations of expectations, preferences, and opinions. 
And most of the time when people play the shame card, it, hasn't be, it isn't because you did something wrong. It's often because you did something that didn't meet up to their expectations. Well, there's a big difference, isn't there, between wrong and between expectations. Or they play the shame card because you didn't follow their preferences. And they're trying to manipulate you, so they are going to shame you so that you will follow their preferences. Or maybe you didn't agree with their opinions. And so, or, or, so you say things, or things are said that create shame, that, that push conformity to those opinions and to those thoughts. And if we'll realize that shame is usually based on these things, it helps us to disassociate a little bit and to step back and say, oh, I'm getting shame thrown on me. Is it because I've done wrong? Or is it because I'm doing something that somebody else thought should be different? And that's all that was going on here is the elders were trying to impose their preferences on them. I was listening or I was talking to to somebody the other day who was having a trouble and trying to do a little bit of counseling and they were getting a phrase like, well, you're not much of a friend, are you? Well, it was a shame statement because expectations that were even unrealistic weren't being met. And so that card was being played because there was manipulation that, that was part of the process there. It's interesting to me in this story that the shame though surrounds something spiritual, or at least supposedly spiritual. And I say that this morning as a caution to us as the church, because I think the church can be a huge source of shame in people's life. And that doesn't come from God. That comes from the enemy. I was reminded of this, uh, somebody in my, my wife's family, and this goes back a ways, but um, a woman... Her husband had an affair, left her, ran off, divorced her, left her with three kids that she had to raise on her own. And so she did the best that she could, and part of that was taking them to church. Of course, the church that she went to, because she was divorced now, she was no longer allowed to teach Sunday school. And so she became a second-class citizen for something that was done to her, and that was all done in the name of righteousness. And that's shame, and that's wrong. And the harm, I don't know what the harm was that was done there, but it shouldn't have happened. I remember, I can go back into my youth, and this is a horrible story, but I can remember sitting in a Wednesday night church service as a teenager where some young gal, college age, had gotten pregnant. And I wasn't married, the guy she was dating or whatever. And so she came and stood in front of the church and apologized to the church for what she had done. I still remember that. Why did she need to apologize to me? That was just shame. And that's not what she needed at that moment, I promise you. And sometimes we are not careful with our shame. And sometimes we are not careful at church with our shame. And sometimes we're like, why, why do people not want to go to church? Well, let's be careful that it's not a shame issue that's keeping them away. And that doesn't mean that we can't address sin. We need to address it. In fact, we're addressing sin right here this morning. But it does mean that we need to be careful with this issue of shame. Have you ever heard things like this said at church? Well, you know what? If you cared more, well, then you would volunteer to help in the nursery. 
And so we, we use shame as a way to, to motivate you. Or are you reading your Bible every day? That's a shame statement. Or are you friends with her? And that's misspelled, so you can shame me for that too, okay? But, and we throw our shame around, and we need to be really, really careful about that. But you know, it's not just the church where we actually throw shame. You know, another place where we still have a lot of shame is in our family relationships. How about in our marriages? How about this? Here's, here's, a, here's a shame statement for you. You never pick up your socks. Actually, what you're saying is you are a slob. And we throw that out there as shame. Or here's a statement. Sophie's husband always brings her flowers. What is the statement really? You know what? You're an unthoughtful husband. Or how about this one? Whenever we talk, you always get so emotional. That's just a shame statement to say, you know what? You're weak. You can't even handle a normal situation here. And so the truth of the matter is that people play shame cards all the time. Don't be one of them. And as the disciples sat here, I don't know if they got this message or not, but the message that I think that they should have gotten is like, hey, you see how these Pharisees are acting here? That's not going to be us. Now, let me just add this before we move on. Realize that your shame story may make you more likely to engage in the same. If you have grown up in a situation or environment where shame has been a part of your story, and some of you have grown up in homes where shame is, is really the weapon that, that you constantly, oh, why can't you be like your sister? You're never going to amount to anything, or you're such an embarrassment to us. And you've heard things like that. If you've grown up where manipulation and shame has been a part of that, it's more likely to be part of your repertoire too because it's just normal to you. It's just natural to you. And so I would say that if you've grown up in that environment, step back and say, okay, am I repeating that? And am I, am I carrying that forward here? I don't say that, by the way, to shame you. I just say that to make you more away. And so the Pharisees come to Jesus and they're like, I'm going to shame you. And if you look at this, the Pharisees were masters of this. The Pharisees were masters of shame. Your disciples, you know what they do? They pick wheat on the Sabbath day. Oh, how about this one? Did you see this woman? She was caught in adultery. How about this? This perfume, it could have been sold and, and, and the money could have been given to the poor. How about this one? You know what you do? You hang out with tax collectors and sinners. Shame, shame, shame. Do you know who's even touching you right now, Jesus? The reputation that she has? And the Pharisees loved to play the shame card. Don't be like a Pharisee. Second point, we've made it through one. Second point, let's look at the passage again. Then some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Here's the reality. People are going to play the shame card on you. Often for petty things. There will be Pharisees in your life. There is nobody in this room who has escaped the shame card. I promise you. 
And some of you, you face it way more often than other people. And sometimes it even comes from important people to you. It might come from a parent, or it might come from a boss. It might come from a mate. It might come from somebody at church even. But I love how Jesus responds here. Verse number three says, And why do you, who are throwing preferences out here, Break the command of God for the sake of your tradition. Jesus is having none of their shame. He's pushing back, and actually he's going to flip the script because the Pharisees have been throwing shame out here, and Jesus says, how about we leave the shame behind for a minute? How about if we go over here, and let's talk about guilt. And he goes on here, and we'll read this. He says, for God said... This is a command, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is uh, devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. The point is this, or the idea is this. If you've got something that would be useful to your father and mother and they're in need, and you don't want to give it to them, All you have to do is declare it devoted to God. You can use it all you want. It can stay in your house. But it's like, sorry, mom. Sorry, dad. I just can't give that to you because it's God's. This microwave here, I know you could use one, but hey, it's God's microwave. And that really was what was going on there. And Jesus said, you are actually breaking a command here. And so he moves into the guilt category, not into the shame category. He goes on and says, thus you nullify The word of God, for the sake of your tradition, you put preferences ahead of commands. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. They're all about appearances. They're all about performance. They're all about imposing their preferences on you. And they're really, really, really good at playing shame cards because as long as I can shame you over here, I don't have to deal with my spiritual mess over here. So Jesus, in verse number 10, called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? There's a little bit of irony there, isn't it? The Pharisees that came to shame Jesus walked away in shame because of their guilt in that moment. But what I love about this is that Jesus pushed back against the shame. And there's no reason when you are dealing with shame in your story that you just have to sit there and take it. Now, that doesn't mean you need to get into an argument. That doesn't mean you need to get into the fist fight. You don't need to have a a big, you know, a a big uh, summit or anything like that. But there are ways that you can push back against that shame. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever noticed how much Jesus pushes back against shame in his ministry on earth? If if you do the growth guide this week, it's going to look at six instances in the book of John that are shame-related in every time how Jesus pushes back against the shame. But think about some of these episodes. Think about the, the maniac of Gadara. Jesus says, you know what, let's get in a boat, let's go over here, let's get this guy back in his right mind, and let's get him in some clothes, and let's get him home, and let's be done with the shame in this story. Uh, how about these lepers? They'd have to walk around saying, hey, unclean, unclean. How about if we heal them? And how about if we send them back home where they could be with their families, where they could be in society, where they can actually be touched again? 
Uh, how about this blind man here that, that's wondering if it's his sin or it's parents' sin and whose sin and why does he have to be blind and why does he have to be How about if we just give him back his sight? We don't have to worry about that anymore. And you know what? He doesn't have to beg anymore and be an outcast in society. Hey, Zacchaeus, I know nobody else likes to go to your house because you're despised in this community, but not by me. Let me go to your house and we'll deal with sin, or, or shame issues in your story. Hey, Samaritan woman, you're, you're here at the well. It's noon. Nobody comes to the well at noon unless they're avoiding people, unless they don't want to deal with shame. And that's probably the case, right? So how about if I come to the well at noon too? And we could talk about this. And we can do something about the shame in your life. Oh, adulterous woman there, you're standing here in front of me in your shame. Let's chase away all these shame throwers. And let's restore your dignity. Don't do this. Don't, don't do this anymore. But you can walk away from me, not condemned, but loved and forgiven. In Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, there's a prophecy here. And I want to read this. And, and this is Isaiah talking about Jesus that's coming. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. What's that about? That's about rescuing the shamed out of their poverty. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. And he goes on there. But even the prophecy about Jesus is what he came to deal with, not just sin, but he came to deal with shame in our story. So I would say this, when people play the shame card on you, don't let it stick. And here's five simple ideas that might help you in this situation. And some of you, you live in more shame-oriented situations than others. Hopefully this is helpful to you. First of all, consider the source. Who is it that's shaming you? And what is their story? Because maybe the shame that they're throwing on you is because of the shame that they've experienced. And I think this may be true, that oftentimes the people who are the worst at shaming have felt the most shame. And people who have grown up in shame, that's just kind of an MO that they're familiar with. But also they have a lot of hurt and they inflict it on other people because that's how they're dealing with shame. So sometimes though, we need to step back and say, okay, is this me or is this them? And to consider the source. Secondly, we need to recognize the shame. And sometimes I think we've gotten so used to it that we don't even hear it. But, you know, insults, sarcasm, um, mocking people, rudeness, criticism, judgment, all of those things are shame cards. And we need to recognize them when they're played so we can say, oh, wait, 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 time out. I'm being shamed here. So that you can figure out how to deal with what you have. Are you being shamed because of something you've done wrong? Well, that gets into a third thing where we need to separate guilt and shame. There are times when we are guilty and we can be called out for our guilt. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you're calling somebody out for, your guilt, for their guilt, though, the way to call them out is to say, here's what you have done wrong, not you should be so ashamed of yourself. And I'm putting general terms around those things. But if we've done wrong, sometimes we just say, you know what, I was wrong. I blew that. 
And if it's necessary to say, you know, I apologize. I Forgive me. I want to make that right. And if you need to deal with the guilt, then deal with it, but then put it away and walk away from it. But if it's just shame and you look at it and it's like, I, I'm not sure what was done that was even wrong here. You can separate that guilt from that shame. And by the way, this is just a by the way that I'm putting in here. A lot of times in our conflicts with people that are dealt with, we hang on to them to use later on. So there's an argument here, and then we have an argument similar down the road. We bring that back up. If it's been dealt with, we're no longer dealing with guilt down the road here. What are we dealing with? We're dealing with shame down the road, and we don't want to go there. We don't want to be the ones playing the shame card. Number four here, and I think this is really important. Don't let the narrative of somebody else become your narrative. Don't let the narrative of somebody else become your narrative. And there are people in your life who will show up and say things to you like this. You know what? You're never going to amount to anything. Or why did they hire you in the first place? Or, you know... You are such an embarrassment to our family. Or, and you can go on and go on and go on. But you know what happens? When we hear shame enough, we start to buy into it. In that narrative, there's the danger that it becomes our narrative. And we start saying these things to ourselves, you know? They're right. I'm just not good enough. Or you have a bad day, you yell at your kids, and all of a sudden you're putting your own shame card on, you know, I'm just not a very good mom. Or we say things like this, you know, nobody could ever love me. Or compared to everybody else, I'm just not very good. And you know what? I'm always saying the wrong thing. And gosh, I'm just a screw up here. And we end up walking through life with this shame that Jesus doesn't want us to have. He wants us to take the things in our lives that need to be deal with, dealt with and, and deal with them. But then he always like, he's like, hey. Let's be done with the shame. And you know what I love? Is it's not just being done with the shame. There's a positive here, and I think this is so important, but it's this. Let truth set you free. And if you're dealing with shame this morning, a shame that somebody else has dumped on you, it's shame words that you've heard all through your life, it's shame that maybe you're hearing in your relationship, maybe it's shame that you're, that you're hearing yourself say, let's put some truth cards on. How about this? You are a special creation of God. You're one of a kind and you are unique. You have worth and you are valued. God loves you just as you are. You are not what you have done. You are not what has been done to you. You know what? You don't have anything to prove. God accepts you. God may be working on your life. God may be trying to change you, but God accepts you. God wants you to be you. He made you to be you. God's grace is all you need. You are loved unconditionally. You are in Christ, and he chose you. Let's walk around with this and be done with the shame.
We've talked about shame for several weeks here. And sometimes it's a shame we bring on ourselves when we do something wrong. Aren't you glad that we have a God who says, you know, I can cover that. And that's what the cross was all about. And Jesus came to cover not just our sins, but our shame. And we, we explore the story of the prodigal son where there was a robe offered to say what? Hey, you're covered. There was a ring offered to say you have dignity. There were sandals offered to say you are free. And if you're dealing with that shame, you can say goodbye to it. Maybe you're dealing with the shame that has been put on you. We looked at the story of Hagar last week, where the shame that, 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 was, that was dumped on her. And you know what? We don't have to stand in the shadow of somebody else's shame. We can be done with that. And then we look at this story here, where the Pharisees come and say, you didn't wash your hands. And Jesus is like, you know what? We're not, we're not going to play shame cards here. So we started with no shame, November, and now it's become no shame, December. And we're not going to talk about this anymore, but I think it'd be great if it became no shame, January, and no shame, February, and, and no shame, March, and no shame, April, and no shame, May. Let's live without shame. Let's pray. Your Heavenly Father, Shame is a weapon that the enemy uses to defeat us. But I pray for people here this morning who are struggling with these issues of shame. Maybe they've had these shame cards played on them. Maybe others have played them on them. I pray that you would give them deliverance. I pray the truth would set them free. I pray that they would know that they are loved and accepted by you. That you have a plan for them. That you have value. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, he came to die for your sin. He came to die for your shame. He loves you desperately. He wants to have a relationship with you. He's willing to forgive you if you will just ask him to and if you'll invite him into your life. You can do that right where you sit this morning. If you're a Christ follower, there's no condemnation. And if you're living underneath the shame that somebody's put on you, then you don't need to have a big argument and a big fight with somebody. But you and your relationship with God can say, you know what, I don't want this shame to be part of my story. Maybe it's the shame that you're, the lies that you're telling yourself where you need to tell yourself truth. I don't know. But where this morning was there something in this message that was for you? Where the Holy Spirit maybe tapped on your shoulder and said, hey, grab onto that. Will you take that from here? God, we're grateful for the way that you love us, just as we are. Grateful for the fact that you do confront us in our sin, but that you point us in the right direction and you cover all of that. We praise you for that this morning. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand with me, we're going to finish up with a song this morning. This is Chris's finale, Oh Holy Night. Here we go.